Welcome to Getting Credit, a podcast focusing on financial markets, corporate credit, and timely insights from Pacific Funds. Here's your host, Dominic Nolan, Senior Managing Director of Pacific Asset Management, the sub-advisor for the Pacific Funds Fixed Income Funds. Hello. Thanks for joining round two. Today we have JP Leisure. JP is a Senior Managing Director with Pacific Asset Management, a founding member of the firm, a bank loan portfolio manager since 2007, our former head of credit research, and to me, a great business partner. I thought it would be interesting to get his perspective on a couple of things given today's environment. First, what matters to him when lending money to companies, which is essentially what an investor does when they buy a corporate debt instrument. And second, how the impact from COVID-19 has changed various segments of the real estate market. I thought this would be relevant given JP also covers the REIT sector. He brings over a quarter century of corporate credit experience to the discussion, and I have really enjoyed his perspective over the years. On a side note, uh, we are in the dog days of summer, and to my producer's dismay, you may hear some faint sounds in the background caused by an air conditioning unit. Apologies up front. Okay, here we go. Hey, JP, thanks for joining today. I'm glad to be here, Dominic. You know, I, I've, when thinking about your history and looking at credit, you've, you've seen pretty nasty times. I mean, you've been through the global financial crisis, the dot-com bubble back in 0102, and what we're going through today with, with COVID and the pandemic. I'm just curious, with your 20 quarter century and looking at credit, what comes to mind? What stands out? What matters to you when you, before you, you know, you, we lend to a company? I would say each of those dynamics or downturns was, was a little bit different. So the, the dot-com vintage or era, there was just a lot of euphoria, too much leverage. The global financial crisis, that was a financial system in, in disarray and a, a bit of a liquidity crisis. Uh, the more recent, the one we're living through right now, the, the COVID situation is, uh, it, it feels very unprecedented. Um, I, I think generationally, most of us, all of us have, have, have not gone through something like this. So we're, we're all quite honestly trying to navigate it. And um, I don't know if there's necessarily a, a map. A, a lot of this You've seen that there's the, the, the downdraft in the market, businesses deteriorate, and then there's the recovery. And the aspect of the current downturn with COVID has been that the recovery, from my perspective, has just been much quicker than, than what, what many of us would have guessed. Certainly, that's been the market response. It's, it's moved much quicker. So you had the global financial crisis, and that was a more of a drawn out. There was a lot of fiscal activity, a lot of learning by the government and the, the regulatory authorities, and they learned a lot through that period, uh, and they helped us exit that situation, and, and that's been put to good use today, and perhaps that is why the market has recovered quicker, because there's just more faith in the authorities that uh, they're going to do what's needed. How is it, uh, you know, this is part of the things that we speak about all the time in, our, in the meetings is you have the prices of the underlying assets rallying, but the underlying businesses are still really struggling. And I'm 
how do you reconcile that? It's it's really yeah it's it's hard to reconcile that to be honest because the economy is still still in the depths of some pretty troubling times yet the the market has recovered again much quicker very much more robust than than what you are seeing in the in the broader economy and it's a lot of that has to do again with the the regulatory authorities, fiscal stimulus that, that's been put in place, the uh, anticipation that we are going to have an economic recovery. And that, that also is a little bit unusual where we sit today in the sense that I think under most downturns, there's, there's a little bit of a, a pause before the market recovery takes place. And we've almost skipped over that and it's just presumed that there's going to be a recovery and the recovery is going to take longer. I mean, we have 10% unemployment today or thereabouts, uh, which is really where we were during the, the depths of the, the financial crisis of 08, 09. So there is very much a leap of faith in the market, but the market has embraced these companies. They needed liquidity, they've needed room to maneuver, and they've been able to, to access the capital markets. And the capital markets have, have embraced that. It, they've developed to a point where they're, they're much more accepting of situations if the presumption is that the business is going to recover. But it, it is, there's a really a big divergence. There are going to certainly be winners and losers. Right now, Main Street is, is not the winner. And the winners really are, are some of these larger institutions, technology in particular, but these larger institutions that have been able to access the capital markets to get liquidity, to buy themselves time so that they can exit the situation when we eventually do exit. I would say companies have also been much quicker this go around to cut costs. They've shown an ability to, to move quite quickly, curtail expansionary plans, and, and, and I think that is also given them market, the market, not the economy, the market, some comfort that, that a lot of these companies are going to be able to navigate the current situation. You run $5 billion in loans. Most of the position sizes are just down the fairway position size would be a 1% position. So we are lending $50 million on average to a particular company. And while we're senior in the cap structure and even beyond stress times, I'm curious to lend $50 million to a company and with your year's experience, what is it that, what really matters in there? It, it, you know, when you, when you think about that. It, it's, there's a lot of intangibles and a lot of judgment goes into that and a lot of smart input from the entire team. Well, for me, what really matters is, is the underlying business, uh, a good business. Uh, whenever we interview people to, to, to join the team, I always ask the question, would you rather lend money to a over-levered company that's in a really good business or an under-levered company in a really bad business? That answer tells me a lot about how an individual thinks about credit. And for me, the right answer is I would gladly lend to an over-levered company in a good business because they're going to be able to figure out how to, how to navigate the situation. They're going to, the management team is going to be able to figure out capital raising activities that are needed. Whereas an under-levered business that is in a bad industry, it just, it just continues to deteriorate. And you think you are okay in that situation because 
you are lending on a, in a lower leverage situation, but the, the underlying business just continues to deteriorate. So, so one of the things we've incorporated in our credit review is, is just, is there a secular decline taking place within the business or is there a, a tailwind for the business? And, and it's night and day, you know, how we view those businesses. Uh, headwinds, they, 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 the, the winds tend to pick up as time progresses. They can be pretty difficult situations. So for it's a, to, to put some, some meat on the bone there, radio would be an example of secular downturn, secular headwinds. Coal would be an example uh, with renewables coming along online that is in secular decline. I would put retail very much in that same boat. The Amazon effect, what technology has done to retail has very much put that business in secular decline. And you just need to be very cognizant the type of business that you're lending to, and that that and the the real reason at the end of the day, because if you do, you're going to have mistakes, and when you do have a mistake, and you're going through a restructuring or a downturn, you're really going to be looking at what is the value of this business, and businesses in secular decline tend to have low enterprise valuation multiples, and and for us, we want to be able to lend to companies that have high valuation multiples. That's enterprise value to EBITDA, and you just feel much more comfortable in those situations lending. Frankly, these are all highly levered um, credits that we're lending to. I mean, we're, these are all below investment grade companies. So when you have an implicit equity cushion below you, you there's just a lot of comfort that comes with that. We've been through the headwinds, tailwinds, but it seems to me those headwinds are not linear. So what was maybe a five mile an hour headwind four years ago, it's not five miles an hour today. It has increased. It accelerates as time goes on, right? Is that your feeling with headwinds? Yeah, it, it starts out It starts out at five miles per hour, and then you find yourself in a hurricane. And, and I'll give you a bit of an example. One of the, we, we, we have had our problems in the past, as, as most credit managers, and, and uh, with, with particular investments. And, and one of them was a company called IDARC. IDARC was the old Yellow Pages business. Uh, that was the book that you got on your your, your, your doorstep uh, that told you who to call if you needed a, a carpet cleaning or what have you. That business was a terrific business for a very long period of time. And then you had the introduction of the internet and everyone just went to the internet to find that carpet cleaning provider. And it used to be that Wonderful cash flows from the Yellow Pages business, so the IDR. Wonderful cash flows. You you knew there was this internet, this introduction of the internet, but the cash flows were more than sufficient to pay you down uh, as a lender, and you would be able to exit the situation um, before the real headwinds picked up. And what you quickly find is that downturns tend to exacerbate the secular, and so we found ourselves. It, with a, a slowdown, which accelerated the downturn in the business. So in other words, you had much less advertising dollars being spent. Uh, the cash flows dried up and you have this monumental move to the, to the internet for, for information. And that situation, we, uh, the company ended up filing for bankruptcy. Uh, we exited at a certain point in time. And again, when the when businesses in secular decline, the, the enterprise valuations are not particularly robust. So you don't tend to have a good recovery on your investment. So that company exited the bankruptcy process. We were gone at this point in time because we sold out of our position. It subsequently filed for bankruptcy again, 
again, because of the secular, uh, exited a third time, a second, uh, exited again and filed uh, for bankruptcy a third time. So again, the secular, it starts out slow and then you have a little bit of a hiccup and you find yourself in a, in a hurricane and things get real troubling real fast. Folks, that was something that took place back during the great financial crisis. And it's a good segue to where we are today and in particular, I'm of the camp that, you know, this, the COVID situation has been a massive digital accelerant for many businesses and will have rippling effects on various real estate markets. Uh, you know, JP, you've been covering REITs as a sector for a long time. And I, I'm just curious your general thoughts on how you think, you know, whether it be tailwinds or headwinds on certain areas of the REIT market, but what we see happening over the next year, 10 years in, in this space. Curious high level thoughts. I, I would say we are, for, for, for some of the segments of the real estate market, we are in a transition period. And some of the markets, I, I, I'm of the view that, you know, you still feel quite comfortable and confident that they're going to, to weather this situation. And some are just in a bad spot. They're, they're going to struggle and you're going to have a lot of insolvencies and, and problems. And then some are in, in some transitional phases. And let me go through each of those. So I think that the markets there where you feel quite good about those segments, so industrial, that those are warehouses. Those are very GDP sensitive, e-commerce related. Those have done quite well and continue to do quite well even in today's COVID situation. I would say multifamily, uh, multifamily, higher end multifamily. So real estate often gets classified as class A, class B, class C. I think class A is going to navigate the situation quite well. Work from home, those individuals are typically in class A. So they're, they still have a job, still are paying their rent or are able to pay their rent. Class B and class C, uh, the class C is a lot of hourly service oriented. Though that is is going to be a difficult segment of the multifamily apartment segment of real estate. Storage is another area that is going to navigate this 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 reasonably well and and has been doing so, and I would anticipate that to continue. The area which is in the crosshairs of this COVID situation, and and again, when these downturns happen, uh, they tend to accelerate the secular headwinds. And retail, in particular, was already going through a secular change. We've had bankruptcies everywhere. You've had Neiman Marcus, JCPenney, Sears, and, and there's plenty of other department store retailers which are sort of on the cuff uh, and trying to, to, to survive. Retail is really going to struggle. We are, we are overstored. A colleague sent out some information last week on just the level of over, uh, overstoring that is in the U.S. today. And, it, and, it's, and it's, you know, anywhere from five to ten fold five to ten times what it what exists in 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 europe and in parts of asia so we just have too many stores uh the advent of the amazon dynamic and and online buying is is going to i think quite honestly and it's not exaggerating decimate a lot of the 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 retail that that exists today an area which i think is in a bit of transition is is office and so you know when you look at office vacancies today there may be I don't know, 11 to 12 percent. Where we peaked, that would have been in uh, the early 90s. 
we probably had office vacancies go to around 20%. I think that's where we're headed. So you have the, the, the downturn where there's just fewer businesses, businesses going out of business, less demand for office space. That's just your typical cyclical effect of, of the downturn. But then you have the secular, and that's why I say this is a bit of transition, and we're all trying to figure out what exactly it means. You know, when you do, when you see the surveys for who is able to work from home, it tends to be financial individuals. It tends to be uh, individuals associated with professional services. Those those categories are the, the highest users of office space. So it, you, they, there's going to be a, a, a clash. A lot of office space is just not going to be needed the way it was in the past because I think the work from home is a dynamic which is going to continue. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen. There's less demand because of the work from home, but then you have social distancing requirements, which may perhaps increase the level of office space you need. But I think the, the one, the work from home is going to override a lot of the, the social distancing requirements. So the last piece of real estate uh, of the segment, which I would say is is really been impacted. And, you know, you talk about businesses that have gone to revenue zero as a result of COVID. Now they made is hospitality. It hasn't gone to revenue zero, but, but it's been particularly bleak, particularly for hospitality hotels, uh, in resort environments, tourism environments, central business districts, higher-end hospitality. Th those, I think, are going to go through more of a cyclical downturn. But with the digitization, as you mentioned, you know, maybe maybe individuals, uh, business people, don't need to travel as much to see their clients, and I, I think that will that will have a, a long-term negative impact on hospitality. But I do see that recovering. It'll be interesting to see you know, once we get out of this, what the world looked like in 2019 and what the world will look like in 2024, sort of two years past the COVID or three years past this, this COVID element and what comes out of real estate. So given all sort of that backdrop of the various sectors around real estate and REITs, what, what, do, you, what do you think is the end result here from a valuation standpoint? It's a little bit difficult to make that determination today, but the expectation it's going to be much less severe than what took place during the, the financial crisis. And so to put some numbers around that, the, in the financial crisis, uh, you had valuations drop 20, 30, maybe 40% in certain situations. Today, the expectation is it could be as low as 10 to 15%. We haven't seen much in the way of transactional activity. It's been actually quite quite dormant. I think most sellers and buyers, there's there's buyers there, but there haven't been many sellers. So just there's been very little transactional activity. And I think everyone is in a bit of a, a wait and see mode. But when the sellers do present themselves, I think some businesses, again, will do quite fine. Industrials, multifamily storage, that's going to continue to, to be very well bid. Retail is really going to struggle. Office and hospitality, will that'll be a little more situation specific. And the, there's been so much money raised in the past couple of years and, and money has been raised in anticipation of, of a lot of properties hitting the market looking for a bid that I think that puts a bit of a floor 
below the market, which we didn't have during during the financial crisis. Uh, you had financial, uh, really a financial institution insolvency dynamic during during that period 10 years ago. That's not the situation today. But there's still just a lot of money that's waiting on the sidelines, waiting to be deployed into hard assets, and, and real estate certainly fills that void. That I think there's going to be a, a strong bid. As always, I appreciate the perspective you bring and look forward to having you on another podcast. And finally, I have a tiny treat for those of you who have stayed with us. A little real estate humor, shall we say. Here's how the joke goes. How many agents does it take to change a light bulb? Six. No good reason. It's just how many it's always been. Certainly a shout out to anyone who has sold a home. I'll call this a wrap. Stay tuned. Pacific Asset Management LLC is the sub-advisor for the Pacific Funds Fixed Income Funds. The views in this commentary are as of August 28, 2020, and are presented for informational purposes only. These views should not be construed as investment advice, an endorsement of any security, mutual fund, sector, or index, or to predict performance of any investment. Any forward-looking statements are not guaranteed. All material is compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice, as market and other conditions warrant. Sector names in this commentary are provided by the fund's portfolio managers, and could be different if provided by a third party. About principal risks. All investing involves risks, including the possible loss of principal amount invested. There is no guarantee the fund will achieve its investment goal. Corporate bonds are subject to issuer risk in that their value may decline for reasons directly related to the issuer of the security. Not all U.S. government securities are checked or guaranteed by the U.S. government, and different government securities are subject to varying degrees of credit risk. Mortgage-related and other asset-backed securities are subject to certain rules affecting the housing market or the market for the assets underlying such securities. The fund is subject to liquidity risk, the risk that an investment may be difficult to purchase, value, and sell, particularly during adverse market conditions, because there is a limited market for the investment or there are restrictions on resale, and credit risk, the risk that an issuer may be unable or unwilling to meet its financial obligations, risking default. High-yield, high-risk bonds, junk bonds, and floating rate loans, usually rated below investment grade, have greater risk of default than higher-rated securities, higher-quality bonds, that may have a lower yield. The fund is also subject to foreign market risk. Pacific Life Insurance Company is the administrator for Pacific Funds. It is not a fiduciary and therefore does not give advice or make recommendations regarding insurance or investment products. Investors should consider a fund's investment goal, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. The prospectus and or summary prospectus should be read carefully before investing. Pacific Funds are distributed by Pacific Select Distributors, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, a subsidiary of Pacific Life Insurance Company, Newport Beach, California, and are available through licensed third parties. Pacific Funds refers to Pacific Funds Series Trusts.